Today will be a very special time as we, as we focus on the cross. At the end of our time, we will have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And uh, for those of us that are believers, that have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it reminds us of the seriousness of sin, the seriousness, but also the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we're glad that you're here, that you're a part of this time as we make our way towards the cross. We're going to be in the book of Matthew today. You might want to turn there. We're going to be talking about reading some of the passages that, that lead us up. We will not make it our way to the cross today. What we'll be focusing on Jesus's, what's known as the triumphant entry. Today, being Palm Sunday, begins what we know as Holy Week. It's that time as we make our way towards the arrest of Jesus, Jesus being tried, Jesus being beaten, Jesus is suffering, eventually his crucifixion and his death. Some people call it the triumphant entry, but uh, you will see today probably that it was anything but that for those living during that time. I mean, you would expect if Jesus is going to make this triumphant entry, he would make it riding in on something that was triumphant looking. But we'll see today <laughs> that it was anything but. As a matter of fact, the donkey, of all things, but not just a donkey, it was the colt of a donkey. It wasn't a chariot, it wasn't a white stallion, it wasn't a black limo with some secret service following him, but it was a donkey. In the 11 verses that we're going to look at today, we're going to read from Matthew's account, what it will do is it will give us an opportunity to expose some expectations sometimes that we have of Jesus that are not biblical at all. And what we're going to also learn today is those expectations that we have of Jesus that aren't biblical can prohibit us or hinder us in our worship to him. So I want to begin today by looking at this passage of scripture in, in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Um, this isn't the only place that we find this story. As a matter of fact, in every one of the gospels, we find this story. So we understand the significance of it with each one of these men writing and recording what took place at that time. But today, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. So would you read along with me? I hope you have your Bibles. That copy of God's Word is so important, not just to read it on Sundays and spend time in it on Sundays, but spend time in it every day, listening for the Lord's voice. And this is what we read today from the book of Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it reads. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage, Bethage, on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, listen, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He's humble and riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 6, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and they sat on, and he sat on it. 
Most of the crowd spread their garments on the ground ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest of heavens. And the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? Who is this? They asked. And the crowds that were there, they replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this is what we ask, that in our time today, that as we read your word, that you would reveal to us something that, that we need to hear, that we would experience your truth. Help us today to identify those untrue expectations that we may have that hinder us in worshiping you, our true king. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts is today we desire to hear specifically from you as we spend this time together today. In your name we pray. Amen. Up front, I want you to take a look at, at God's plan. And I want you to read with me again in verse 1 as he says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. God always has a plan. And here, even though our focus will center around Jesus' entrance in Jerusalem, it's good to be reminded prior to this what was happening. Jesus was traveling from place to place. He was teaching. He was busy. He was preaching. He was healing. And now on his way to Jerusalem, he stops into this little village, Bethphage. It would have been a mile or so away. Distance-wise, it would have been like, say, traveling from Gainesville down to, to the villages, down to Fruitland Park on your way to lady or on the way to Leesburg so he just stops off in Leesburg but he's fixed he's on his way to, to or stops off in Fruitland Park on his way to Leesburg so it's not very far away it's just a short distance and he's headed to Jerusalem to celebrate something what was he celebrating what were they headed to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover Passover which was a gathering of the Jews to celebrate and remember what God had done in Egypt and when he rescued them and how he took them out of the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and just as it was during the times of Moses, when a lamb was sacrificed and when that blood was sprinkled over the doorpost, causing the death angel to pass over, this is what I want you to see, it would eventually be the lamb of God, Jesus himself, whose blood would be shed that would cause God's judgment to pass over believers and give them life because of their faith and trust in him. And just as it was in that first Passover, it marked the Israelites' freedom from slavery and the bondage from Egypt. Eventually, the death of Jesus would mark our freedom from sin, the bondage and slavery of sin. And so here's Jesus, here's his disciples, his followers, and they're on their way. And let me say this, this is a big deal. They didn't have a clue what was ahead, but Jesus knew. See, they didn't know what the next few days would hold. But Jesus knew nothing would catch him by surprise. Maybe you've had that moment in time that you wish that you would have known. <laughs> because if you would have known, you wouldn't have. Maybe it was a place that you went, a person that you'd spent some extra time with, 
something that you did that you knew that you shouldn't do, but you wish you would have known the consequences because the consequences were so extreme. But Jesus knew. And yet even knowing that his days were numbered, it would not deter him. It was the ending of his earthly ministry as we know it. And those traveling alongside Jesus, they had no idea to whom they were truly traveling with. A couple of thoughts. We don't know for sure. There's differences in the numbers depending on which historian you believe. But they say that during that time there were X amount of people living in and around Jerusalem, some 60 to 80 Some even say 100,000 people living in Jerusalem during this time. But when they would celebrate a festival such as Passover, those numbers could grow even into the millions. So you see the numbers of people that had crowded there, not just Jews that would be coming from all over the places where they had been scattered, but you'd also have the Gentiles coming in, not only because they were curious, because also it was a place of commerce to sell and to make money. You know what that's like. And so there's a tremendous amount of celebration. There's a, there's a lot of disorganization that was there. And Matthew goes on to say there, he says, And Jesus sent two of them ahead. So they're traveling along. They get down to this town called Bethphage. And Jesus says, Listen, I want two of you guys. I want you guys to go on ahead. And this is what I want you to do. He says in, in verse 2, Go to the village over there. And he said, As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Two disciples, I don't know who they are, but two disciples were not given a name, they were just chosen, and Jesus gives them, Jesus gives them some instructions. Listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go over there, and I want you to do this, and I, and I want you to take care of this for me, and if anybody has any questions, just tell them, listen, the Lord needs them. You ever been asked to do something that you really didn't understand why they were asking you what to do? Maybe it was a, uh, maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a pastor. But here's the Lord asking them to do something that I don't know. I have to believe that they fully didn't understand what He was asking Him. But Jesus asked two of them for whatever the reason. And guess what they did? We're a little bit later, we're going to find out exactly what they did because they went, not even understanding. When we don't understand, usually it takes a little bit of a relationship for us to do something. Either we trust them or there's a place of authority and we submit to them. And even though they didn't understand what was going on or the significance of what was happening, Jesus did. And Jesus was asking him to do this because it was part of a prophecy, a prophecy that had been given. And here's Jesus putting into place his coronation when he would enter this city as king. And what is getting ready to happen would not only infuriate the Pharisees, but they would lead them to call for his, his death. And that day as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, which would happen to be the exact day that they would select lambs that would be slaughtered for the Passover sacrifice, we find that Jesus enters into that city. But it wasn't a coincidence because Jesus knew. John the Baptist also knew because earlier he had recorded that Jesus was the Lamb of God that would come to take away the sins of the world. 
And Jesus would offer his life eventually, not just for a few, not just for the people that were obedient to the law, not just for the good people, not for the ones that seemed to have it all together, not for the ones that deserved it, not just the Jews, but Jesus would eventually give his life for the world, the entire world. And so Jesus set into plan God's ultimate motion, God's ultimate plan. So Jesus sent off the disciples to go get the donkey and its colt. And Matthew says this here in verse 4. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And what Matthew does is he tells us the why behind what Jesus was asking because it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Why in the world would Jesus ask a couple of guys to go get a donkey, to get a donkey and it's called? And Matthew said, listen, it was to fulfill the prophecy specifically from Zechariah 9.9, which would have been written 500 years prior. And if you know anything about Matthew, Matthew's goal in his writings was to prove and to identify Jesus was the Messiah. That's what Matthew, his whole writings are all about, to prove, to authenticate that Jesus was the Messiah. And he goes back time and time again to the prophecies of the Old Testament to bring them to life, to say, listen, I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah. But why in the world a donkey? I mean, it could have been a little bit classier ride, but why a donkey? And it wasn't even a big donkey, it was a little donkey. Do they have a name for a little donkey? They say a colt. I don't know if there's a name for a little donkey, but he was little. And Jesus didn't want there to be any confusion about the message that he was bringing as he, was enter, as he would enter into Jerusalem. I mean, he would not be like a typical king, especially a Roman king, but his message would be that of peace. It's almost like a blind date. How many of you guys have had a blind date before? Don't you dare lie to me. Hold your hand up high. Somebody says, hey, man, listen, I got somebody I want you to meet. You're going to love them. They've got a great personality. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before, right? And so, you know, you get dolled all up. You know, you, you paint your face up, ladies or men. You throw on that, that special cologne, and you, you dress all up to look nice. And you get to this place you're supposed to meet this person that has a great personality and the expectations that you have just happen to fall short not only do they not look very good they don't have a very good personality either the blind date it's funny we can laugh but how many times do the expectations that we have are so self-centered and self-serving that it can cause us to miss out on something that's really special? Here they are. They're looking for a king that was going to come in and was going to take charge and lead them from out underneath the oppression of Rome. And this king supposedly comes riding in on a donkey of all things because he wasn't coming to rescue them from the oppression of the Romans but he was coming to rescue them from the power of sin. Jesus didn't come so the Jews could defeat the Romans, but he came so that we could have reconciliation and peace with God. And you know why Jesus chose a donkey? 
It was because it was a symbol. A symbol of who he was and why he'd come. Humility and peace. So what does that mean? What does it mean? Let me tell you something. We have to accept Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be. I mean, how many times do we want Jesus to be like a genie in the bottle? And what he does is we just ask for a wish and he gives it to us. Or it's that Jesus will just solve all of my problems. I mean, and how many of us have the expectations? Listen, Jesus loves me. There was, there, I know that there would never, ever be anything that difficult that he would allow me to walk through or pain that he would allow me to experience or sickness or suffering. Not to, him, not to me or anyone else that I care about. And this is what I want you to see today. Because see, if we're honest, I want you to think if that would have been you in that crowd that day. And here he is, your king of all kings, supposedly comes riding in on a donkey of all things. Think what you would have thought. Think with it what you, how you would, have, what you would have felt. I mean, everybody wants to be on the winning team. Everybody wants to be in the popular crowd. And they had their minds of what Jesus should look like and their expectations, how he should act, how he should respond, just like you do. Just like you do. But what expectations have you placed on Jesus? I want you to see this today in the participation of those in verse 8. Or what it says there in verse 6. Let me continue on. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him. And they threw their garment over the colt. And, and he sat on it. And most of the crowd sped their garments on the road ahead of him. And the others cut branches from the trees. And they spread them on the road. So you've got this huge mixture of people. Gathering of people. I mean, if you can just imagine just people all over the place. And you've got those that were following Jesus, those that had traveled along with Jesus, those that had heard uh, Jesus and, and had heard his teaching, had seen miracles performed. There were others that had just heard the stories. I mean, it wasn't just long before this that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and it was just maybe a few miles away from where they were at that moment in time. And you've got this huge crowd of people, and they, they did two things. They laid garments or clothes down in the road ahead of him while others took branches and they, they laid them down in the road or they waved them. Maybe we could say the laying of the garments down was almost like the red carpet at, at some major event. We could maybe say it was like putting a runner down at a wedding, a regal touch. But it wasn't unusual. I mean, if we go back to the Old Testament, we see where this had been practiced before when Jehu was announced as king back in 2 Kings. It said they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn shouting, Jehu is king. And then we have those from the crowd that laid down their branches before Jesus. And they were shouting. There were those groups within that group that were praising and they were worshiping Jesus. And man, they were pumped up because the Messiah had come to deliver them. And Matthew says that in verse 9 that Jesus was at the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, shouting, praise God, the son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord and praise God in the highest heavens. I mean, these guys were excited. I mean, they had been waiting, waiting for the king to appear. 
to free them from this oppression. And the Bible gives us that little piece where Matthew, the entire city of Jerusalem, was in an uproar as he entered. And who is this? Who is this? They ask. Because it wasn't, he didn't look the way that they expected him to look. And they said, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, the one who's come to save us. Are you kidding me? I mean, do you, do you really think on a donkey? No army. No army. No weapons. But they knew who Jesus was. They recognized him. Son of David. They knew the prophecies. They knew the prophecies. Back in 2 Samuel where it identified that God had promised David a king that would serve, an offspring that would become king, and he would have an eternal kingdom. And they believed that Jesus was this man, their king, their conqueror, their deliverer. But they just didn't understand his kingship. Nor... Matt, they didn't understand his kingdom. They couldn't understand it. And I wonder if the crowd worshiping Jesus at the beginning of the week that was the ones that were shouting, Hosanna, save us, is the same group of people that cried out, crucify him. How easy it is to turn from hero to zero in the eyes of the crowd. From worshiping him and crying out to, for, them to, for him to save them to calling for his death and his crucifixion. But see, before we criticize, we must realize that we have the ability to do the same. From, oh Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, to turning our backs and walking away from him. When he doesn't match up or meet up to our expectations. Maybe you've done that before. I mean, we like Jesus to fit in our little box, that he does what we want, that solves all of our problems, that he destroys all of our enemies, that makes our lives easy and simple, that gives us health, wealth, and prosperity. But the expectations that we can have contain us because of our selfish desires and our self-centeredness. I mean, how many people have cried out, save me, yet only to walk away from God when he confronts us in love about our sin or when he allows us to walk through times of difficulty and suffering. So as we talk about the expectations, what are yours? You know, when you came to Jesus and when you said, I'll, I'll trust you, Jesus, I'll give you my life, what were your expectations? Let me give you the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus was born. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the third day. And that same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that we have access. When we cry out to him and we say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to walk with you. I want to trust you. And that privilege is one is every one of us have the availability to, to experience. All we have to do is to receive that invitation. 
I want to read something to you that I found, I found very interesting as I was reading about this story from, from the different perspectives, from the different accounts in the gospel. And I came upon Luke's account, and Luke was very um, informative with what he wrote. He wrote down some details that were extravagant when it comes down specifically to the life of Jesus. And I want to read this to you because I, I found this to be so powerful, so powerful. And in Luke's account of the story, and in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, this is, this is what it says. It says this, that as Jesus got closer to Jerusalem, as he was getting to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead, and it says that he began to weep. So you got Jesus on his way. Jesus knew exactly what he was on his way to do. Nobody else really did. They didn't understand, but Jesus knew. And it says the closer he got, he began to weep. Why? Why weep? Was it because he knew that his ministry was coming to a close, that this season of life was almost over? Maybe. Was it because he knew that his disciples, those closest to him, Judas, would betray him and Peter would deny him and the others would leave him? Maybe. Was it because that the crowds that were so excited and celebrating his arrival would be the same people that would cry out, crucify him? Maybe. Was it because that Jesus knew the city and the tabernacle would eventually be destroyed and over 600,000 Jews would lose their life? Maybe. And then we hear the words of Luke 19, 42, where it says, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. That's powerful, isn't it? As Jesus looked upon the city and as he made his way to that direction, he said, How I wish today that you of all people my people would understand the way of peace, the way to peace. The way to peace wasn't through dominance. The way to peace would be submission. And Jesus would humbly, willingly, eventually give his life for all of us. I think that Jesus wept that day because most of all he knew that everything that he had done Everything that he was doing and eventually would do, that it would be many who would reject him. That's what I think. Reject him. And in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says that he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become Children of God. See, the hope that we have as believers doesn't come based on our expectations of Jesus. But it, they come, hope comes because of Jesus' intentions. That was his goal, to give us life. And he knew exactly what it would take to bring life and bring peace and bring reconciliation with God. Would you bow with me just for a second?
Let me just ask you a question, a very, very simple question, but a very serious question. Very simple. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Has there ever come that time in your life where you said, Jesus, I fully submit my life to you? I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I cannot save myself. I recognize that I, that you, that you died on a cross for my sins to pay the price of sin that I couldn't pay. Have you ever come to that place in your life where you have identified and said, I want to receive Jesus, to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to live my life for Jesus? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm confident that if I were to die today, I know where I'd spend eternity, and my eternity would be in heaven because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand where you are? I know without a shadow of a doubt. But maybe you're here today and you don't know. Our hope doesn't come because of our expectations of Jesus, but because of his intentions. We aren't saved because of something that we do. We're saved because of something that he did. And we celebrate that today. And today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, even right there where you are, you have the ability to cry out and say, Lord, man, I've tried everything in the world, but today, and I just want to give my heart to you. And right there where you are, you can pray a prayer, something along this line, Jesus, man, I've made a mess of my life. Man, I've made a mess of stuff. And today I recognize that that Jesus, you died on that cross for me. And today I want to give my life to you. I recognize my sin. I recognize today that there was a payment for my sin and it cost you your life. Jesus, I want to trust you. And if that's you today, right there where you are, you, you can just pray that little prayer, something along that line. Jesus, I want to trust you today. If you're here today and that's a decision that you've made with all heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just say, that's me? And I've, that's a decision that I want to make today. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Today, I want to trust Christ. Anybody? Okay. Father, I'm just praying for the next few moments of our time together as we, as we enter into this time of, of just remembering and, and thinking through and trying to grasp the depth of your love as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for these that are here today that have, that have, have said without a shadow of a doubt, I've trusted Jesus and I know, I know where my eternity lies. Thank you for these that are here today that have prayed that prayer. Lord, I, I didn't know, but today, today I wanted to make that decision to trust Jesus. How exciting that is. Father, I pray that as we go into this time, Lord, that uh, there would be just a, a sincere um, time of us recognizing the significance of our sin, as the seriousness of our sin, as well as the significance of your death on the cross. Thank you, Father, for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.